If you'd like to open your Bibles to Mark 5, Scripture reading will be in the book of Mark, chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. I'll be reading from the NIV version. Mark 5, 1 through 17. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again, not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about two thousand in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man, who had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus, to leave their region. So what do you think about that story? It's got everything, doesn't it? Good morning. Uh, we're going to continue our study through the book of Mark. And uh, we're in this section that uh, Tim was reading from. What Tim read is one account of four in a row, starting in chapter 4, verse 35, and going to the end of chapter 5. Mark records these four situations that Jesus found himself in, and uh, we're going to look at them, but uh, let's pray first, <clears throat> ask God to uh, show us what is intended in these passages, not what we want to see. Keep that in mind. Father, we thank you for your word. It's always good to get back into it and look at it together. Uh, see what it has to say to us. Thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for being able to sing about your greatness and about your goodness and how deep <clears throat> we can go in our relationship with you. Father, we thank you for another day another Lord's Day, to do this together and now to learn together. Pray that your Spirit would teach us through uh, 
what you intended your servant to write here about Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. So there are four situations that Mark gives us in a row. The first thing we need to know about them is that they are narratives. That simply means that what Mark is doing is he's recording for us what happened. There are no instructions in these four sections. No instructions to the reader. They're narratives. Simply recording four situations that Jesus found himself in. When you look at the four, and I'll be pointing them out, you see similarities in the four situations. Uh, There is a pattern. And I think that tells us that Mark, by doing this, is trying to get a point across about Jesus in these four narratives, these four situations. In each of these situations, Jesus will encounter... A great power. He will encounter the power of nature. He will encounter the power of demonic forces. He will encounter the power of chronic disease. And he will encounter the power of death. So, in all four, we're going to see that. There's a great power. That Jesus encounters. In each case, we're going to find out that Jesus is the greater power. And also in all four situations, we're going to find out that even though these four great powers tend to instill fear in people, when those who witness Jesus displaying his greater power over these things, their response is a response of fear, but fearing Jesus, the greater power that they have witnessed. So there, I told you the whole message, but we're going to go through it here. Uh, By the way, before we go to the first passage, let me just remind you that we suggested when we started this series that the primary audience that Mark is introducing Jesus to is probably Roman. Keep that in mind as we look at four situations in a row that have to do with power. So let's start in chapter 4. Actually, and uh, the first situation deals with the forces of nature, starting in verse 35. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? 
just let me ask you here. Ever been a time in your life where you accused Jesus of not caring? The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The first encounter here is obviously with the forces of nature. The forces of nature are a great power. We know that. The forces of nature can instill fear into the lives of people. We all know that. We've experienced it. There are all kinds of forces of nature that are greatly powerful and destructive. We have hurricanes. We have earthquakes. We have tornadoes. Yesterday was the anniversary of the tsunami in Japan, which was a great power of nature and destructive, if you remember that. Here, the force of nature is one of the many storms that would come upon the Sea of Galilee. Uh, if you have maps in the back of your Bible, I don't know how quick you are to look, but if you have maps in the back of your Bible, some do, if you find a map of Israel at the time of Jesus' ministry, you'll probably locate uh, the Sea of Galilee. Now, it's not a perfect circle, but it's kind of roughly round. It was a small body of water. It was a very low body of water. And on the east side... There were these cliffs, and on the other side of the cliffs was the Decapolis. There were ten cities, and it was very common in those days for these storms to come quickly on the Sea of Galilee. The winds would come over the cliffs on the east side, and they would come down to the Sea of Galilee, and they would come down and begin to churn over the Sea of Galilee, and you'd have these terrible storms. All of a sudden, they even frightened the expert fishermen who spent their whole time on the Sea of Galilee. As we see here, these disciples, some of whom are fishermen who are used to the Sea of Galilee, are scared to death of the storm that's just come up. But the waves would be high, the wind would blow. Uh, what it would do, they say, is create this almost like a, a toilet bowl flushing. The wind would come over those cliffs on the east and it would come, swoop down and then it would start going in circles. Terrible storm. So that's what's happening here. And the disciples are scared that they're going to die. They wake up Jesus. He's been sleeping through it. And we see Jesus speaking some words. And he's not speaking the words to the disciples. He's actually talking to the wind. He's actually talking to the waves. And he tells them to be still. He commands nature. And what happens? Everything calms. The wind is gone. The waves are calm. 
the storm is over. Simply at the words of Jesus. And Jesus says to the disciples, Why were you so afraid? Do you still not have faith? What might he have been referring to there? Well, they've already seen quite a bit of power. As they've been with Jesus, they've seen power in his casting out of demons. They've seen power in his healing. And yet here, they're in the presence of a display of power they haven't seen. Power over the forces of nature. And look what the last verse says. Referring to the disciples. They were terrified. Now, what are they afraid of? What are they terrified at? The, the waves have calmed. The storm is over. The wind isn't blowing. But they're terrified. What are they afraid of? They're afraid of Jesus. They are in the presence of a greater power than the forces of nature. And they have witnessed it with their own eyes. And they are afraid of Jesus so that they ask, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They have just seen the greater power. And it's Jesus. He's no ordinary man. That's clear. And they're afraid. Can I share an example of one of my pet peeves? Uh, What people do with passages like this? I'll I'll do it in the form of uh, a real-life story, something that happened, uh, written by a a pastor who was teaching this passage. Uh, His church had sponsored a group of Laotian refugees so they could come to America. They settled in this one town and started coming to this church that sponsored them. And the pastor was doing a Bible study through the book of Mark with this group of Laotian refugees. And they had come to this passage in Mark chapter 4 about the calming of the storm. And I'll just have the pastor tell you the story himself. I'll read it. He says, After we read this passage aloud in English and Lao, I summarized the story and then I asked my first question. So what are the storms in your life? The translator asked the question in Lao, but the whole group looked puzzled. So I expanded. What are the storms in your life? You know, the areas that trouble you, cause you confusion, make you worried. Again, blank stares. Then they started talking among themselves in Lao. 
I asked the translator what was going on. She said they were wondering if Jesus did indeed calm that storm. I said, well, yes, but I wanted to move the conversation into something more personal and practical. So I said something like, but what we really should be thinking about is how Jesus can calm the storms in your life. There was a pause as they took this in. And then one of the men, through the translator, said with awe in his voice, if Jesus stopped a storm, he must be a very powerful person. They got it. They saw the power of Jesus over a storm. They saw that Jesus was no ordinary man. The pastor says, I was stunned and a little embarrassed. They had grasped the real meaning of this passage that Mark intended. Mark wants to tell us about Jesus. I wanted to talk about us. And I was forcing Mark to fit my agenda. This account is not about the storms of life. It's about Jesus having power and authority over real, physical storms. Over nature itself. Do you get the point that he's bringing out here? We are so good at trying to find in these narratives all these meanings and all these uh, applications, and we miss the intention of the author. What do you think Mark's intention was by recording this? Just what the pastor said at the end. His intention was to introduce Jesus as a greater power than the powers of nature. That's it. But you see, we want every narrative in Scripture to be therapeutic. We want to find somewhere in there some help for me in my daily life. When Mark is trying to be, is theological, to present a truth about Jesus that's important. He is a greater power than the powers of nature. He is no ordinary man. That's it. Tim read the second situation for us that Mark records. He just goes right into it. Um, Starting in verse 1 of chapter 5, they continue in the boat across the lake to the region of the Gerizim. So they go east to the eastern shore where all the cliffs are and where those ten cities, the Decapolis, are. That's where they go. The Jewish people believe that all those who lived in the Decapolis on the other side of those cliffs were pagan, lived pagan lives. They believed that that's where the evil spirits came from, the other side of those cliffs. They believed that's where the storms came from, and it was the evil spirits that sent the storms on the Sea of Galilee. They knew that the people on that side of the Sea of Galilee raised pigs, 
And if you're a Jewish person, that's all you need to know. And there were stories. These disciples had heard stories all their life about the other side of the cliffs on the east end of the Sea of Galilee. And now Jesus is taking them there. And they come there, and just as they probably suspected, it's trouble. Because they are met by a crazy man. He's, he's possessed by demons. And they are so in control of him that he just lives among the tombs in the cliffs. And he roams around there at night, screaming and crying out and harming his own body. Totally driven crazy by these demonic spirits. You see, demonic forces are very powerful. They are. They're very powerful. And they instill fear in people. And now Jesus encounters these demons. They're in control of this man. And Tim already read it, so I'll just remind you what happens. This man who's possessed comes running up to Jesus. The demons know who he is. They know. And they get down before Jesus. And guess what? The demons are afraid of Jesus. And they beg him not to torture them. In fact, they go on and beg him to just cast them into those pigs. There's a herd of pigs nearby. Just cast us in, in there. Don't torture us. Just cast us into those pigs. And notice the text says, he gave them permission. Does that say anything about authority here? He gave them permission to go into the pigs. And we know the story. And you probably colored the pictures of pigs falling over the cliff into the Sea of Galilee and dying. And the man was free. Free from this possession. The demons were out of him. But, of course, the pig farmers aren't very happy. And they run into town, the nearest town, and tell everybody what's going on. And people come from town to see what's happening. And there is this man that they've been afraid of, probably, that they've heard stories of, sitting there, fully dressed, no longer naked, calm, free. And instead of celebrating his freedom, what does it say? Notice verse 15. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. What were they afraid of? Well, here's a clue. Verse 17. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave. They were afraid of Jesus. There had been a display of a greater power than demonic forces. And they were now afraid of that one who was greater than the demons. And they wanted him to get out of there. 
He was no ordinary man. This guy who had come upon our shore. He had power over demonic forces. Well, Jesus doesn't argue with them. If they want him to leave, he'll go. So they get in the boat and they go back to the other side, to the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. We come to our third encounter that Jesus has with power. Verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, and seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. This man comes pleading with Jesus to come back to his home with him, heal his daughter. And so Jesus starts off. But on the way, he encounters a third power, and that is the power of chronic disease. Verse 25. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She's hemorrhaging and has been hemorrhaging for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd, and he asked, Who touched my clothes? His disciples answered, You see the people crowding against you, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling, fear. She's just been healed. She's trembling with fear. What's she afraid of? The one who healed her. He's asking for her. She's scared. Verse 34, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. We know that chronic disease can be a great power. There were many diseases in that day that were great powers that instilled fear. And there are still diseases today, chronic ones, that are powerful, that instill fear. Cancer is still a scary word. Parkinson's. Alzheimer's. I've seen enough of that to admit I'm scared. COVID. 
There are chronic diseases that have a lot of power and instill fear. And here's a woman who has a chronic disease. So powerful, it's caused her to suffer for 12 years. And she's gone to doctors. Nothing has worked. In fact, I was reading in the Jewish Talmud. There are 11 cures given for hemorrhaging. Should I give you three of them? Here are three of the 11 cures in the Jewish Talmud for hemorrhaging. One, hold a cup of wine in your right hand and have someone scare you from behind. Does that sound familiar? Ever had the hiccups? It didn't work. It's possible this woman had tried that. Another one of the 11 in the Talmud to cure hemorrhaging. Carry a barley corn from the droppings of a white female donkey. Eventually, you will be cured. Sorry, but I had to mention that one. It didn't work. It didn't work. And it's possible this woman tried that one. A third of the 11 cures for hemorrhaging in the Jewish Talmud. Boil a Persian onion in wine and drink it. It didn't work. And it's possible this woman had tried it. Twelve years, going to all the doctors. She probably had tried all 11 cures that the Jewish Talmud listed. Nothing worked. She suffered for 12 years. But she hears about Jesus and what he's doing in the lives of other people. And she finds him and makes her way through this crowd as Jesus is walking to the synagogue ruler's home. And she gets up to him and she just touches his garment. And she knows instantly she's healed. But when Jesus asks her to identify herself, she is scared to death of him. Because she has just witnessed firsthand the greater power. This is no ordinary man. He has just displayed power over this chronic disease that she suffered with for 12 years. And she's afraid. She's in the presence of that power. Well, there's no time to converse with this lady anymore because... According to verse 35, we move right into the fourth exposure, the fourth encounter with power. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. And they have bad news. Your daughter is dead. She's died. 
Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion, people crying and wailing loudly. He went on and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, just sleeping. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples, those three, and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Death is a great power. We all know that. Death instills fear in people. Death is no respecter of persons. Case in point, a 12-year-old girl gets sick and dies. Jesus doesn't make it in order to heal her. He's too late. She's already died. My grandfather talked about a time when his 12-year-old sister came down with pneumonia. And four men took turns carrying her on a stretcher six miles into town to the doctor. And my grandpa's sister didn't make it. They were too late. She died before they got to town. Twelve-year-old girl. Jesus is too late. The mourners laugh at him because he suggests everything is going to be okay. So he takes Peter, James, and John and the girl's parents into her room And he just speaks some words. And she comes to life. How did Mark know what went on in that room? How did Mark know what Jesus said in that room? It might be another little evidence that Peter was the source of Mark's information in his gospel. Because Peter was there, right? Peter, James, and John, and the parents. Peter was an eyewitness. He heard the words Jesus spoke. He saw the girl rise. So maybe Mark got that inside information from Peter. But notice the response. Verse 42. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. At this, they were completely astonished. That's the response. What does that mean? 
Well, we think it means just surprised, but if you look up the word that's appearing there and translated astonished, it means to be thrown into a state of surprise and fear. It's a word that includes fear. What are they afraid of? They've just seen a girl come to life. They're in the presence of a greater power than death. And they're afraid. Astonished. Afraid. It blew their mind. Jesus was no ordinary man. And Mark has taken those four situations, presented them to us one after another, and in every case, Jesus encounters a great power that instills fear in the lives of people, always has, still does. Power of the forces of nature. The power of demonic forces. The power of chronic disease. The power of death itself. And yet in each case, Jesus displays greater power. And the fear of the people who witness it moves from being afraid of that one power to being afraid of of the greater power in whose presence they find themselves. Jesus. He's no ordinary man. And I think that's what Mark is trying to get across to the readers. Especially if his primary audience that he's introducing Jesus to is Roman. They're all about what? power and he has perfectly laid out for them Jesus is the greater power so some questions do you believe and by the way these questions aren't as simple as they look or hear do you believe That Jesus had this kind of power. Do you think that Mark is telling the truth here? I guess that's the question. Is the information Mark is giving here and relating accurate? Do you believe Jesus really had this kind of power? If you do, did he exercise that kind of power in every situation when he was here. Think about that. Did he calm every storm those three years? Did he stop all powers of nature when he was here? No, he didn't. Did he cast out every single evil spirit that anyone in all of Israel had when he was here? Of course not. Did he heal every chronic disease in Israel when he was there? No. 
Did he raise in those three years everyone in Israel who died during his ministry? No. He exercised his power when he chose to exercise his power. Sounds logical, doesn't it? He had the power. And he exercised it. But not in every single situation. He chose when to display that power. Another question. Do you believe that Jesus has this kind of power today? Do you believe Jesus has power over the forces of nature today? Power over demonic spirits today? Power over chronic disease today? Power over death? Does he still have that power? He certainly does. The writer of Hebrews says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he had that power then, he has that power now. Question. Does Jesus exercise that power in every situation today? Of course not. He doesn't. Does that bother you? If he has it, why doesn't he use it? More? But just like then, it seems like he chooses when he will display that power and where. Another question. If we believe that Jesus had that kind of power then, that he has that kind of power now, and that he didn't exercise it in every situation then, and he certainly doesn't exercise that power in every situation today, then how do we respond to Jesus who has that kind of power? Do we respond with fear and faith or awe and trust? Or do we respond with expectation and obligation? Come on, Jesus. You have the power. We expect you to exercise it here. You are obligated to us. To display that power because you have it and we're your people. I was reading this article. It's about one of France's largest evangelical churches. It's called the Christian Open Door Church. It's a Pentecostal group. The article says that back in early 2020, February last year, few weeks before France locked down because of COVID. This church hosted 2,200 people at a worship and healing conference. After the conference, 500 people in the congregation got COVID. 82 people in the congregation were hospitalized, including the pastor. And 32 people in that congregation died of COVID. And the pastor in the congregation, understandably, started asking why. How could this happen? God, why did you let this happen? You're supposed to protect us. We're your people. You're supposed to heal us. 
you promised. And the pastor said, what do you say to people after you've guaranteed their health and healing? And then this happens. They had always expected God to use his power. They had always felt Jesus was obligated because he promised. He'd done it before. And the pastor talks about this crisis that he and the church went through. It humbled them. And he says what they were humbled by was the sovereignty of God. He has the power. But in his sovereignty, he makes the choices when he will exercise it. And that was really Jesus, wasn't it? He had the power. He displayed it. Greater power than forces of nature. Greater power than the forces of the demons. Greater power than that of chronic disease. Greater power than death itself. He displayed that. He had it. But he chose when to exercise it for his own reasons and still does. So when we think of the power of Jesus displayed there that Mark lays out for us and we believe he still has it today, we've got to decide, does that mean we are going to have these expectations that we put on Jesus Are we going to decide he's obligated to exercise that power on our behalf every time? Or are we going to stand in awe of that power and going to trust it and place our faith in his sovereignty? Knowing, believing with all our hearts, he has that power. He is the greater power. But also knowing with all all that's in us that our response is to be awe, that healthy fear of this Jesus who has that greater power and a willingness to trust him in his exercise of it. And if you don't know Jesus, if you, if you don't have a, a relationship with him, I mean, the choice is reject him or follow him. That was the choice back then. Which choice makes the most sense if he's the greater power over all these powers? What choice makes the most sense to reject the greater power, to reject Jesus, who has power over the forces of nature, power over demonic spirits, power over chronic disease, power over death. Does it make sense to reject that person? What makes sense is to give yourself to him and follow him. You want to be in his presence. You want his presence to be with you. Friends, he's no ordinary man. That's what Mark was trying to get across. No ordinary man. He is the greater power. 
Follow Him. Trust Him. Stand in awe of Him. You don't stand in awe of a person that you see as your right-hand man doing your bidding whenever you expect it. No. You stand in awe of one who has the greater power whose sovereignty you trust. And you will follow him no matter where he leads. Let's pray. Father, we get it. We get it just like those simple refugees. When they saw what Mark recorded, they got the message. This Jesus has power. He is no ordinary man. Father, we've been reminded of that again today. And Lord, I pray that if we believe that with all our hearts, that we will respond appropriately, humbly, submissively to this Jesus and follow him wherever he leads. In his name we pray. Amen. Please stand with us as we close with I Stand in Awe. This series is just on fire. Um, None of the accounts that we heard about in Mark ended with people having the ability to change the weather, death, disease, or demonic forces. They came to Jesus. And for the man uh, possessed by the demon, Jesus came to him. Jesus had the ability to set people free. I stand in awe. This Bible has the words of life in it. Will you trust Jesus and live by his word? We have that same power within us because of the Holy Spirit.